Nehemiah chapter 8. And as, as we do this, you know, just, just watching the videos, and uh, there, there's going to be one at the, at the end of the service. It, it, I, I've known from the very beginning, and I'm grateful from the very, very beginning, that I realize that this is, this is something that we are doing, that the Lord is doing through us, those of us who call Calvary our church home. And I want you to know that I'm very thankful for your commitment. I, I get here about 7.30 in the morning. There are people who are, who've been here for over an hour before that, and they are making the coffee, and they're, they're putting the donuts out, and making the cookies, and setting up the, uh, the parking, and, and uh, we couldn't do it without you. And, and uh, those of you who serve in children's ministry, and you're ministering to the lives of, of little ones, giving the opportunity as you speak God's truths into their lives and create a nurturing environment for them to grow up and experience God's love and, and God's word, but you're also given the opportunity for a parent to come and hear God's word. And those of you who who serve and, and uh, you greet on Sunday morning, you create a, a warm environment. You know, we we couldn't do it without all of us doing doing our part. Those of you who show up on Thursday mornings and and you've rearranged your whole your whole week to be there uh, here at the church so that you can put the programs together so they can be passed out on on Sunday morning. Those of you who lead groups and those of you who serve in student ministry, investing in the lives of 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 our of our students. You know, without all of us doing our part, this couldn't take place. And so this is about what God is doing in the life of all of us together as, as his body, as the body of Christ, as a church. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for the, the, the last 20 years. And um, what you might not know, but in church life, the average pastor lasts in a church uh, less than four years. And uh, so to be celebrating 20 years as a church it has a has a lot to say about you as a congregation because you've made serving in this church a joy for for myself and for the entire staff and so it's because of of who you are that that we've we've stayed and and uh, we plan on staying until uh, God calls me home or Jesus comes back or uh you know I die or something. I don't know. It's a, to, to you guys all leave and say we're over it. So there. So, so it's exciting, exciting to uh, to just be able to celebrate twenty years. Uh, I never thought I'd do anything for twenty years, you know. So, so I wanted to to take this week and share a little bit. I mean, this this one week, you know, we won't be doing this every week, but. Uh, I want to share with you a little bit about why we do what we do, what we've been doing for the last 20 years, and, and uh, why we, we do this on a, on a weekly basis. And so I believe that every church has its own unique calling. That the, all, you know, all churches have some of the same things that they do, like oh, every church is going to have children's ministry, and every church is going to have people who you know, do this or, or, or that. But we have a very unique calling. And um, when I was five years old, I, I grew up in the church, and I began going to church when I was five years old. We went to some wonderful churches. I've had the most wonderful church background. You've heard me talk about it. At times it's weird, it's wacky, but it's always been wonderful, and I've enjoyed every, every moment of it. But um, we were in one style of church, say, from the, the time I was five to I was probably about 11, 
And then we went to a church, and that church became my church, I think, for, for pr- pretty much the, the next 20 years. I always pointed to that as my home church. And in, in that church where my, my spiritual uh, walk was formulated, the one thing that we were always taught in student ministry is you be in the Word. It was always just driven home. You be in the Word. So if you were part of our student ministry, you knew that when you would find time every day, you would be in God's Word. You'd be reading. And, and uh, so we did that. And, but I would come to these places in the Bible that I would read and I would say, why is that there? What, what's really being said? And there wasn't anybody to really give explanation for, for some of the things that are there. So, so at times I loved it, but it was, it was at times confusing. Well, I, I grew up and I, I went to a Christian college and took some Bible classes and, and those are great, but and they didn't really explain why certain things were there. And, and uh, so as wonderful as it was, it, it left this desire to understand what it, what it all was about. So after college, I, I went and I, I went and I, and I got a master's degree in counseling psychology. And at that point, I really thought that I was going to become a, uh, a clinical psychologist. So before I would go on and do my doctoral work, and by the way, let me just say that it was getting that degree that helped me to realize that I am a lousy counselor. So, but but I thought at that point I'd still go get a doctorate in psychology and then maybe teach at a college, do a private practice, something like that. And so. I decided that I really wanted to have a biblical foundation, a spiritual foundation for what I would do in the area of psychology. So I decided to go to seminary. And so I enrolled in a Master of Arts in Religion program and I went to seminary in Indiana. And in that program, there was a lot of systematic theology, there was a lot of philosophy, uh, a, a lot of things, but there just wasn't any Bible. There wasn't like, here's how you understand this. And so I really, I really hungered for that. And we were taught in seminary that you can do anything in church that you want to do. You just can't teach people the Bible because people aren't really interested in that. But I was starving for that. I was just starving to, to understand. Well, I remember this one day, and if you're familiar with the geography up there, I went to school in Anderson, Indiana, which is just outside of Indianapolis. And I was visiting some friends up in Chicago and on this very cloudy, snowy day, I was driving back from Chicago. And as you come down, you have to come and loop around uh, Indianapolis to head over to Anderson. And I was flipping through the radio. And there was this guy on the radio who caught my attention because he was reading the Bible. And then he would stop and he'd say, now here, here's what's being said. Here's what's going on. And here's why this is important to you. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. So I, I, I was captivated by what he was saying because he was just reading and then he was explaining. Well, as I came around Indianapolis and I'm heading back to Anderson, I started getting far away from the radio station. And so I wanted to hear the rest of what the man had to say. So I pulled off and I pulled into this mall. And so I sat there until the radio program was, was, was done. And I remember in that time thinking that, you know, I really learned something with, with, with uh, him doing that. And I remember saying to the Lord in that time that God, I never, I mean, I am never going to go into the ministry. I'm just, I'm just not, not you know, wired for that. I just could never do that. But, but uh, if I were, if I were, that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to read the Bible and just explain it to people and, uh, because I'm fascinated with that. Well, it was several years later that 
I um, found myself going to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And so it was the first time in my church experience, although I'd actually been in the ministry before, been in seminary, and, and, and done a number of different things. It was the first church I'd ever walked into where they stood up in front and they said, hey, if you made it in today without Bible in hand, please raise your hand. Let us bring a Bible to you. I'm like, bring a Bible to you? What is this crazy talk? You know, who would, we never do that. So they passed out Bibles, and I, you know, because of my background, I always carried a Bible to church. So they said, open up to this. And so we opened up. And the pastor went through a chapter and he'd say, um, now underline this and, and circle this, write this in the margin, and then here's why this is so important. We went through an entire chapter of the Bible. And at the end of that, I remember thinking that I've just learned more about the Bible in the past 45 minutes than I've learned in the past several years. And I was hooked. And it was in that time that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Now, God doesn't speak to me all the time. I wish He spoke to me a little bit more. But it was in that time where He just said, This is what you are to do. And uh, so that became my church home. I began serving. Eight months later, they hired me on staff. It was there that I met Cheryl. We began to date. I told her that I believe that God's calling me one day to go start a church. And so she felt like that was part of her calling too. So we, we dated, we got married, and we began praying where it would be that we would then one day go and spend the rest of our lives doing what you see here week in and week out, teaching the Bible, reading and explaining as we go. Well, uh, as, as we did this, God began to speak, and you saw some of the story, and I won't go into all of it today because you saw some of it in the video, but God began to really confirm that we were to move to this tiny little town of Jupiter. Now, for those of you who haven't been here for 20 years, you might not know this, but the world used to end at PGA Boulevard. There was a sign, no kidding, it said, beyond this point, there be dragons. You, there was just nothing beyond it. There was no abacoa, there was nothing. It's just cow pastures. But the Lord called us to, to come here to Jupiter, and we started at the high school, and we just began teaching, teaching the Word of God. Now, as we were moving here, God spoke to me again, not just this is what you're to do, but He gave uh, another clarification for me. And it was a time that he spoke, something was shared with me, and I couldn't shake it. So it wasn't like you know there was a cloud and it parted and God said, this is this, what thou shalt do, or nothing like that. It was just like I couldn't shake it, and I knew it was from the Lord. And so God spoke to me through this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I want to share that with you today, and hopefully to give some understanding as to why we do what we do here each and every week. Now this story takes place, the, the time frame is about 445 BC. So almost 450 years before Jesus is even born. It's in the nation of Israel. They're in a very difficult situation nationally. They've lost their national sovereignty. It's a very difficult time in their economy. And if you were to go up to the average Jewish person on the street in that day, and you were to say, what's your religion? They'd say, well, I'm Jewish. And if you were to say, well, what does that mean? They said, well, I don't really know. I mean, we, we know we're Jewish. We celebrate some holidays. Don't really know what it means. But, um, you know, that, that's what we do. One of the things you find, it was in this time that they as a nation had a real disconnect from, from God's Word, from, from the Bible, from Scripture. And so they had no idea what it said or why they were Jewish or anything like that. So it's in that time, and, and by the way, I, I, what hit me about this is their situation in that day is very much like the situation in our day, uh, 
very much like the situation in our day. You know, in that day, there was a great deal of biblical illiteracy. They've conducted studies, and uh, you would not believe how many Christians believe that Joan of Arc was actually Noah's wife. And there are Christians who believe that there's a disconnect. But they would say, I'm Christian, but I don't really know what it, what it means. So it's in that time where people are looking for answers, uh, this story begins. So at chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra, so I'm going to underline Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. So again, uh, people are searching for answers. They're Jewish. They don't really know what it means. And so they call for Ezra, who is a scribe. He's also a priest. He's a scribe, which means he has the ability to translate the scripture, but he's also a priest. He's working in, in that function. Now, what I love about Ezra is who he is. So there's a book in the Old Testament called Ezra. And in that book, it says this. I put it on your outline. It says, for Ezra... And the word Ezra, by the way, just means, I put it in parentheses, means to protect, give aid, or help. And it says he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So his name meant to be a help. And basically what he does with his life is a great help to the nation of Israel. His purpose was to study God's word, to live it, and then to teach it. The idea is, he says, I'll study it, I'll live it, and because it's true in my life, I'll teach it to you. So he's not going to try to sell somebody something that doesn't work in his life. You'll hear people say, what is your life verse? This is my life verse, this this verse here of Ezra. I studied it, uh, study it, and then practice it and teach his statutes. Verse 2, he says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could, underline this, all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. One of the things that we're going to find is that he is going to focus what he does on those who can understand what it is that he's doing. So I want you to write this down. In this chapter, we're going to find that there's a real emphasis on understanding. The word understand or understanding is actually mentioned six times in this chapter. And uh, I love that because that's the emphasis in the New Testament. When Paul would go somewhere to speak, he would say something like this on your, on your outline. He says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The idea is that Paul really believed that as he went to church, there should be a great deal of instruction. So we're going to find that the emphasis here is on, on understanding. Now, because of that, there's something else I want you to write down very quickly. Apparently, they had some form of children's ministry. You want to write that down. Uh, apparently they, they took the, the children who wouldn't be able to understand, they did something with them, maybe speaking to them in an age-appropriate way. But um, I, I would say this, when you serve in children's ministry and student ministry, one of the things that, that uh, you do is that you invest in the life of a child and as you invest in the life of a child, you also free up a parent to come in and hear God's word in an undistracted way. And so, but he's going to emphasize speaking to those who could understand. So Ezra's focus is going to be on those who can understand. Verse three, it says, He read from it, he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from you want to underline this, early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women. And then underline who could understand, who could understand. And then it says, and all the people 
were attentive to the book of the law. All the people were attentive to the book of the law. I, I, I love that because there was something about reading it and explaining it. And he'll talk about explaining it in a few moments. But there was something about reading it and explaining it that captured the people. And, and then it says he does this from early morning till midday. Did you see that by the way? So here's what this means. You want to write this down. That service went six hours. So the next time I go over three minutes, I don't want to hear it, okay? <laughs> Believe me, if a church was going six hours, I'd go to a different church. I, I, I love coming to church. I love seeing you all. But I, I've got about so much, you know, and I got a living here, and I'm ready to go home. So uh, fortunately, you're that way. So, but, um, so, so he's, he's just reading and explaining it. Again, to those who could understand. Now, verse 4, he says, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah, on his right hand, Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkiah, the J is silent, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra, verse 5, opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people when he opened it, and all the people stood up. So there's a few things I think we need to highlight. The first thing I think that we need to say is, I think you'll agree that I did a very good job in reading those names. Thank you. So, (laughs) didn't know that I could, but, and and if I messed them up, you don't know. So, One of the things that you see is that they they put Ezra in that day on a wooden podium above the people. That's not to elevate him above. The idea was for acoustics. Um, It tells us that they thought about what they needed to do and they said in order to be more effective, how can we do this in a way that's going to reach the widest range of the, the audience? So they lifted him up for acoustics and so he was able to speak to a larger number of people. Also in that culture, which is very different, it's not a right-wrong thing, it's just a cultural thing, in that culture when they would open the Word of God, the people would stand up. Many times as we go through, say, the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus starts to speak, he sits down and the people stand up. And so in our culture, I stand up and, and you sit down. So um, I don't know what you do with that, maybe someday we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll flip that and see how it works. Probably won't work at all, <laughs> so we, we, we'll, uh, won't do that. All right, so what I want to focus in on from this point on, we see what they're doing, and he's going to read it to the people. We're going to see that he's explaining it, but we're also going to find that this is going to have a profound effect in the lives of the people who are hearing. So verse 6, it says, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed down, they bowed low and worshipped, underline the word, worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. One of the things that we're going to find is whatever's happening here on this day is going to create a heart of worship, and you want to write that down. Now these are people who have no idea what their Bible says. There's a real disconnect. So they're learning it, and something's happening in their heart. And it's manifesting in a heart of worship. So what did they do for, for all of those hours, six hours? Verse 7 and 8 it says, Also Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kelita, Azariah, Jazabed, or Yazabed, Hanan, Peliah, 
and the Levites. Now, in my translation, it says, explained the law to the people. Now, however your Bible says it, you want to underline that. But I, I like this translation in this verse because it really captures. They're explaining the law to the people while the people remained in their place. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood. Understood. Uh, verse 8, you want to underline the word understood. And uh, so, so here he's just reading and explaining to the people. Now, in our world, we commonly refer to that as expositional teaching. Expositional teaching is where you just read it, and then you stop, and then you explain it. And uh, there on your outline, exposition just means a setting forth of the meaning or purpose as of a writing. Um, just, they're just explaining as they go. Now, here at Calvary, we practice what we call expositional teaching, by, by and large. I mean, we'll speak topically at times, but by and large, it's, we, we read through, we stop, we explain, here's why this is so important. And uh, I believe that this is what God has called us to do. Nehemiah does this for a people who know that they're Jewish, but they have absolutely no Bible background. So he needs to explain it to them as they go. Some would say, but Jesus only spoke topically, he never spoke expositionally. And you'll hear that said. Here's the difference and why this is so important. When Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to a group of people in that first century who come from a very strong Jewish background. It was very common for the boys to, to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the, what we call the, the law. And they would memorize that verbatim. Many people would memorize the entire Old Testament. Uh, many of the women also would memorize the first five books of the Bible and then sometimes the whole Old Testament and sometimes just, just large chunks. But it was just, for, for the guys especially, it was like you memorize the first five books of the Bible. So when Jesus is speaking, every once in a while he'll refer to some very obscure verse and nobody goes, oh what do you mean by that? They're all just like, okay we got it, we, we know that verse and they, they go on. Jesus spoke topically to people who had an amazing command of their scripture. Whereas Nehemiah spoke expositionally to people who had no Bible background whatsoever, a very limited Bible background. So that's why we focus in on, on doing this. Does that make sense? So there on your outline, I, I like how the NIV says it here. It says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand. Underline that word, understand what was being read. Again, the emphasis here is on understanding. So now that they understand, we find that, that this is causing people who were very distant from God to now worship God. And then verse 9 it says, then Nehemiah who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Uh, do not mourn or weep. For all the people were, and you might want to underline, were weeping when they heard the words of the law. One of the things that we see here is that Nehemiah is is just reading and explaining. It's causing the people to want to worship God. But now as he reads and explains, God's taking his word and his spirit together and he's doing something deep inside of of the people. And so we would say, say that Teaching this way brings what we would call conviction and repentance. And you want to write that down. So, so what I appreciate about Nehemiah was, was that, that 
he was not pounding the pulpit saying, you people. He's just reading and explaining. Reading and explaining. And as he does that, uh, God is doing his work. God's word, word and God's spirit coming together. In my earlier days, from the time I was, say, five years old to about 11 years old, and the, the kind of churches that we attended, uh, those churches were great, wonderful, wonderful, uh, but it was a very old school style. So the pastor would very often be pounding on the pulpit for emphasis and pointing out, you people are in sin, that, that sort of thing. How many of you come from a church background like that? One of us? Some of us were afraid to say, yeah, and and so it, 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 and you could do that. Very old school church, you know. So and we all got it, and but it was very much pounding. One of the things I I used to sit with the pastors' boys from time to time down in the front, and in that type of church, uh, if we started playing and not listening, uh, the pastor would stop the sermon and say, "Boys, you stop it! I'll come down there right now, take my belt off, and whoop your in front of this whole congregation." You can't do that, by the way. I think you can still do that in Okeechobee, but you can't pull that off. You can't pull that off here in Jupiter. <laughs> but it did cause us to be quiet. So, but here, here they're, just, they're just reading and explaining, and God is, is having his work be done. Well, one of the other things that we find, I want you to write this down and we'll unpack it, but reading and explaining God's word is going to uh, manifest in his people as joy. It's going to bring joy. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 10, and it says, he said to them, go eat of the fat, of the, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweets, and portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. The people are grieving. Underline this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions to celebrate a great festival. Now my translation says, because, because, because they understood, underline that word understood, the words which had been made known to them. Um, there on your outline, I've put it from the NIV, and it says the people went away with great joy because they now understood the words that have been made known to him. But then, then you have in verse 10, you have that verse that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Everybody see that verse? Now, we, we've all heard that verse, haven't we? We've all heard the joy of the Lord is your strength. But most of us wouldn't know where that, that verse is. And, and almost none of us would know the context of that verse. That verse is not just a verse that you pull out and say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, Yes, but it's talking about something here. What it's talking about here, the people are understanding the Word of God. Somebody's reading it and they're, they're explaining it to it. They're explaining the Word to the people. And apparently as they explained, the people understand. And apparently this brings great joy to God that His people are actually understanding the Word. God takes great delight when you and I gather and we go through and it's explained and all of a sudden we understand. And so when we understand, then he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He takes joy in us understanding and then he takes that and he manifests that in our lives as strength. That's where that verse comes from and that's what it's talking about. All has to do with understanding God's word. Do you find that interesting? 
in the Bible what you'll find is that God's Word and joy are, are typically, almost always, tied together. For instance, in Jeremiah there in your outline, Jeremiah is going through a very, very difficult time in his life and ministry, and he says, for thy words were found, and I ate them, and thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. He's not saying that he ate the scroll. He's saying that when I discovered God's word, I just couldn't get enough. You ever, you know, we say, I just devoured it. You know, I just couldn't get enough of it. And so he, God took, he took God's word, and it became the joy and delight of his soul. David would say it like this, if your law hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I'll never forget your commandments for you've used them to restore my joy and health. So again, God using his word to bring about joy in David's life. You and I as Christians hold that Jesus is God. And so when Jesus speaks, it's the very word of God that he, that he is speaking. Jesus would say it like this, These things I have spoken to you, the Word of God, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. It's all attached to His Word. Um, Joy is very different than happiness. Happiness typically is based upon happenings. Joy is something that God gives you sometimes in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. But, but it's always tied to his word. In the Bible, it's always tied to his word. So what effect does this have? Well, verse 13, it says, then on the second day, the heads of the father's households and all the people, the priests, the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain, my Bible says, gain insight into the words of the law. If you have the old King James, it says it like this. I put it on your outline. The second day they were gathered together the chief of the fathers, all the peoples, the priests, the Levites, unto Ezra, the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. I think that's a better translation there. So we've talked about the first day, and it did something in the lives of the people. And so we find that the very next day, whatever happened on the first day, understanding God's word, uh, you want to write this down, makes people want to come back for more. They, They wanted more. Verse 14 Again, the effect. They found, this is the people, Ezra's just reading it and and explaining. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So, um, well, let me just unpack that real quick. They found the feast of booths. What that's talking about is when Moses led God's people through out of Egypt into the promised land. He said, when you go into the promised land, I want you to practice what's called the feast of booths. Now the Feast of Booths uh, is a time where you move outside of your house, you, you make a, a camping situation, you take branches, and you live out under the stars, and you have to be able to see the stars. And he says, and I want you to take seven days every year, and I want you to, to do that to remember how I led you through the wilderness, those 40 years. What we're going to find out is that although God had said that, uh, they find this out, but this had not been practiced in a thousand years. Nobody had done this. So it wasn't until somebody read it and explained it, then it says, they said, we need to do this. So verse 15, he says, so they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities 
in Jerusalem saying, go out into the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths and live in, uh, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. That was a thousand years earlier uh, 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 to that day. And then it says, and there was great rejoicing. There was great rejoicing. So here's what we find. They read it, they explained it, and so the effect that it has, write this down, the teaching the word brings understanding and understanding brings change. Understanding brings change. They didn't do it for a thousand years because they didn't know. Nobody told them. No, nobody read it and explained it to them. And so they, they didn't know. So Nehemiah, Ezra, they choose to just read it and explain it. And what you find as you read on, it literally transforms a nation because for the first time they understood it made sense to them. And God used that. Which is why here at Calvary, by and large, we take a book of the Bible, we begin reading through, we read and we explain, we say, here's why this is important, here's what's going on, here's how we apply this to our life. And that we do that because this is what we see practiced here in Nehemiah. So for the past 20 years, we have been, by and large, teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, for the next 20 years, if Jesus doesn't come back and we're still here, we will continue doing that to bring understanding to the people. And my hope for you is that God's Word has the effect in your life that it's had in my life. Because it really has been that which brings me joy and has brought change in my life. And that now there's another thing I need to say. On your uh, outline, there is a part that's not filled in yet. And uh, I know some of you have closure issues. And uh, today, you're just going to have to deal with your closure issues because I'm going to stop it right there. And uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to see a quick video. The band's going to come back out and then close us out in song. So, did you find that at least interesting? Awesome. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for all you have done in the past 20 years and how you've brought people and how your word and your spirit working together has worked in our lives to change us, to grow us, to help us to be the people of God that you want us to be. And I pray, Lord, however long we are here in the future, one year, one week, 20 years, whatever, that, Lord, you would continue the work that you've begun Help us to always represent you well in all things. I pray, God, that you would accomplish great things in our lives as individuals, in our uh, life as a church, in this time and place where you've called us to be. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said,